So let's begin with our proverb. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In the ESV translation, it's worded like this. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I also like the NRSV that translates it like this. Some friends play at friendship, but a true friend sticks closer than one's nearest kin. Now this proverb at the time it was written would have been even more striking than it is today. In the ancient world, family bonds were very important. In many cases, the most important relationships you had. But this proverb states that a bond can be established with a friend that can be relied upon even more than family. And of course the practical action that the proverb writer wants us to take as a result of knowing this is to try and foster such relationships. To try and forge close friendships rather than just surround ourselves with many companions. Companions who may be good company, but who don't really know us. And if push came to shove, we couldn't really rely on them. The question then that we need to ask ourselves is, do we have such friendships? In today's world, there is a great unfulfilled longing for the intimacy and the closeness that our proverb speaks of. This is partly because there are so many modern pressures that come upon us that make forging and keeping this sort of friendship harder than ever before. First of all, there's our increased mobility as people. Up to my brother and I leaving home, all of my family on both my mother's and my father's side live within three miles of each other. They lived in the same town and had done for generations. And that settled existence meant that all of my family members had a large number of long-term friends. Friends that they went back decades with. But for my generation, that is so much rarer. Now people move from job to job, place to place. I've lived in the home counties, the rural Midlands, urban London, and now on a Scottish island. And I know many of you have moved about as well. And that makes keeping close friends difficult. Secondly, there's the pressure from modern technology. Technology clearly has many benefits, but it has also increased isolation across the generations. Children play computer games on their own rather than going down the park with their mates. And many adults know the residents of Coronation Street better than they do their own neighbours. Television soaps like these give the illusion of social interaction, but without the reality. And then there is social media. Social media, of course, can be a great tool for sustaining friendships. We can keep in touch with people even though we're a long way apart. But there's also a great danger. Social media tries to keep us adding on an ever-increasing number of companions without really getting to know them. 
Joanne Harris, who wrote the novel Chocolat, was so concerned about the effect that the internet was having on her relationships that she stopped using it recently. She noticed that the hours she spent communicating online with a long list of people she hardly knew meant she didn't have time anymore to see her close friends. And she wrote this in an article I read this week. Even for someone like myself, who should know better, a virtual hug from a stranger can sweeten an otherwise bad day. It's all too easy to forget that this is an illusion. A false intimacy that serves only to compensate for the absence of a real one. Alongside all the positives of social media, we need to keep in mind that friending in cyberspace is not the same as friendship. Online, the more friends you have, the better. In friendship, it's the quality that matters. So if you're an avid social media user, ask yourself the question, how many of your 464 Facebook friends do you actually know? How many could you rely on? How many could you go to for help? How many would you be prepared to make sacrifices for? How many would sacrifice themselves for you? Perhaps our proverb today is tailor-made for the social media generation. A man of many companions comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. If all we have is just online companions, but no real friends, we are heading for trouble. So real close friendship is under pressure today. So perhaps more than ever, we need to turn to the examples of scripture for inspiration. William Shakespeare, in his play, Henry V, coined the term band of brothers. It's a term that's come to depict a group of friends who share life at a deep level over a long term, rather than just casual friendships. But the concept of having a band of brothers was not invented by Shakespeare. It goes much further than that, and there's clear evidence of it in the Bible. In the Old Testament, read of David. In 2 Samuel 23, we read that David had a band of mighty men. People who would stand by his side and fight for him, even sacrifice themselves for him. As king, David had a whole multitude of acquaintances, but he also had a band of close friends he could totally depend on. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul also had an inner circle of close friends. We read of Timothy, who Paul saw as a dear son. We read of Luke, who Paul describes in Colossians as our dear friend. But of course, most importantly of all, we see the example of Jesus. In Mark 3, 13 to 14, we read of Jesus choosing from among all the crowds who were following him, 12 disciples. Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out. Just look at those words. Jesus actively chose 12 that he wanted to be his close friends. And what did he choose them for? Well, first and foremost, before anything else, he chose them 
to be with him. Jesus wanted companionship. And in turn, he chose to invest himself in 12 friends. He couldn't possibly give all of himself to everybody during his time on earth. So he focused his relational energy to the greatest effect. But we can go further. Of those 12, the Bible tells us that there were three in particular. That Jesus was especially close to Peter, James and John. He allowed these three to witness miracles that took place behind closed doors. He took them to the Mount of Transfiguration so they could understand more of who he really was. And these were the three who he took into Gethsemane with him during his hour of greatest need. It seems that even for Jesus, amongst this group of 12 friends, he needed it to narrow down a bit so he could share his life on an even deeper level with just a few. But actually, that's not the end either. We read in the Gospel that there is one disciple who became referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Eventually it becomes clear that out of those three, Peter, James and John, that Jesus' closest friendship of all was with John. At the Last Supper we read that John was reclined up against Jesus. There was a physical intimacy there. It's okay for men to hug and embrace, you know. But then at the cross, in that reading that Jean read to us, we see it in its starkest detail. Here was Jesus, moments from death. And what does he do? He trusts the disciple that he loved to the care of his mother, Mary. And at the same time, he entrusts his mother into the care of the disciple he loved, John. What a demonstration of close friendship that is. What a fulfilment of our proverb that some friends play at friendship. But a true friend sticks closer than one's nearest kin. Interestingly, Jesus didn't entrust his mother to his brother James. He entrusted her to his closest friend. So Jesus is the perfect example of how to have close friends and a crowd of companions. Clearly at times Jesus spoke and fed and related to a crowd. He allowed many people to get near to him and get to know them and receive from him. But he reserved his closest interactions to his disciples in private moments. You know, one of the dangers of developing a few close friends is that things can seem all a little bit exclusive and cliquey and hurt the feelings of others. For example, maybe if we have one or two close friends within our congregation here, perhaps coffee time after the service isn't the best time to have a deeper meaningful with them when there's other people we could be saying hello to as well. But Jesus never did that. He related to the crowds, he spread himself amongst them, but then at times he took himself off into private. He took his disciples up on a hillside, he took them across the lake so that he could privately relate to them on a whole deeper level. 
Jesus got this amazing balance between having lots of friends, lots of companions, lots of acquaintances, and yet a few who he really invested in and looked for true companionship from. What a wise way to live your life. Jesus really is our perfect example. And as we said last week, if even Jesus needed friends, then so do we. And if even Jesus needed particularly close friends with one or two people who he could closely share his life with, then so do we. So the question we must now ask is, where should we start to look to develop close friendships like these? Well, first of all, let's say this. If you're here today and you're fortunate enough to be married, the first place you should look is your spouse. At the heart of every marriage should be an unbreakably close friendship. Of course, marriage is much more than just friendship, but it should never be allowed to become anything less. A spouse should not just be a lover, but a best friend. And that would demand time and effort for the entire duration of the marriage as the couple seek to support each other and share their life together. Christian friendship should be the heart of a marriage. And maybe if you're here today and you're contemplating marriage, let this be your guide. Look for a close friend above all else. Before looks or romance or other forms of excitement, look for friendship. But there are many people here today who don't have marriage as their first place to look for a close friend. Maybe they're single, maybe they're bereaved, maybe they come from a broken marriage or their marriage relationship is not quite all it could be or what God would want it to be, though that may not be their own fault at all. Even those of us who are married sometimes need close friends outside of that relationship to help us in it. Where then should we look for a close friendship beyond marriage? Well, the next place we should look is the church. In Mark 10, Jesus speaks about this. Jesus has just declared that for some people, when they come to faith, they will lose family and friends. For some of us, when we come to believe in Jesus and we publicly commit to that, our, even our friends and family won't be able to stomach us following Jesus. But Jesus says we should not fear, because for every relationship we lose, we will make up for it many times over within the family of God. This is the verses from Mark 10. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Those words are a little bit like a New Testament equivalent of our proverb. When we follow Jesus within the church, we will find friendships even closer than our brothers and sisters if our biological brothers and sisters don't share our faith. When we choose to follow Jesus, we enter the church and the church is the family who will love us and pray for us. And within the church, there is the opportunity for our closest friends 
to be found. People who also have Jesus at the centre of their lives. People who understand our morals and what the driving force is behind us. People committed to walking with us until we reach our final destination and see Jesus face to face. And you know what? Committed long-term friendships within the church also form a great witness to those outside it. So many people today are looking for companionship and intimacy and close friendship. And through the gospel and the church, people can find what they are looking for. Friendships like these can draw people to God. Hopefully then we're now convinced for the need for close friends. It's great to have loads of companions, loads of social media followers, loads of people we know by name and can say hello, how are you doing too? But to develop a few close friendships. But how do we go about developing them? Maybe you're one of those people with 400 Facebook friends, but no one you could really share a problem with. Maybe you've been in church for years and yet you've never developed a friendship where you share life together or pray together or advise one another. Or maybe you're like me and you're a bit of an introvert and you find relationships a little bit exhausting, so you've never really looked to make a friendship like this. But now I want to try and give it a go. What practically should we do? Well, this week I read two bits of guidance and with this I will finish. First of all, we need to be discerning. No one has the capacity to be close friends with everyone. So we have to choose who we will invest in. We shouldn't rush into friendships without thinking. Proverbs 13.20 says this, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. You know what? Parents understand this better than anybody. When I was a teenager, my mum didn't just ask me, where are you going? Or when are you going to be back? The question she always asked was, who are you going with? <laughs> who are you going with? Some of us have plenty of friends, but if we're really honest... They're the wrong ones. Far from helping us to live as we should, they're leading us astray. Wisdom may require us then to think, well, actually, I'm spending a lot of time with people who aren't particularly helping me in my life. Maybe I need to invest my time in some other people. It's good, again, I say it's good to have a range of friends and companions, and we all should have friends who are not Christians but to devote our time to investing in some relationships with some who are Christians, who can guide us and help us and pray for us and support us through our lives. And a second piece of advice that I've led this week, which I thought was really good advice, is be deliberate. Friendship does not occur by accident. It requires time and it requires effort. I've been reading a commentator on Proverbs called Hugh Black. And when he was writing on the verse that we've been looking at tonight, he wrote this. The commonest mistake we make is that we spread our intercourse over a mass and have no depth of heart left. 
We lament that we have no staunch or faithful friend when we've not really expended the love that produces such. We want to reap where we have not sown. The secret of friendship is just the secret of all spiritual blessings. The way to get is to give. In other words, to have a good friend, we have to be a good friend. Instead of lamenting that we don't really know anybody, all of our relationships are at a superficial level, let's take the initiative. Invite someone round for a meal. Get to know them. Go out for a coffee. Make the time to invest in a friendship and just see what happens. So to conclude with our proverb again. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The closest friend we will ever have in life is Jesus. By his spirit, he's closer than our very own breathing. But while Jesus was alive, he cultivated close friendships. And we would be wise to do the same. Let's pray together.